Welcome to this week's episode of the Advanced Route here at The Athletic, the show where we try to bring stats and scouting together to help you get wins in your fantasy football leagues. I am your host, Michael Beller, joined by my co-host, Emery Hunt. Emery, how you doing on this Tuesday afternoon? I'm doing fine. How's it going? It's, uh, you know, pretty good that we're into week three as still a lot of excitement going on. The season hasn't gotten boring yet, and I don't think it ever will be the way the first two weeks of the season has gone. No, a lot of unpredictability. I guess that's the one predictable thing in the NFL, really, in all sports, especially early in the season. Unpredictability reigns supreme. We've had a lot of injuries, Emery, and that's where we're going to focus this episode of the advanced route. A lot of big injuries, a lot of quarterback injuries, quarterback changes, uh, whether it be because of injury or just because of ineffectiveness. And some of those are two pretty big names in the football landscape. So that is where we are going to focus our attention this week. We'll start with the biggest one, at least in terms of uh, length of injury, that being Ben Roethlisberger done for the season because of an injury to his throwing elbow. That puts Mason Rudolph in the spotlight for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, Obviously, a lot of fantasy uh, implications with the move from Roethlisberger to Mason Rudolph. Uh, The first thing I want to ask you, Emery, uh, is what – are the big changes that are going to be coming to this offense because of the move from Roethlisberger to Rudolph? I think the biggest changes is you lose a little bit of the pocket mobility that you get from Ben Roethlisberger as far as being able to extend the play. Um, Now, Rudolph isn't a statue, but he's not Big Ben as far as the savvy pocket movement, which allows receivers to get open, you know, break free and get open down the field. And I don't think he has the the pure deep ball accuracy that we've seen Ben Roethlisberger. And just for your experience, I mean, you've seen Roethlisberger for 15 years in the league in this or- organization playing extremely, you know, Hall of Fame level football. Uh, so I think you lose a little bit of that, a little bit of comfort, knowing that maybe your quarterback who has been there before you is, you know, speaking about the head coach, Mike Tomlin, but been there before you and has done a great job throughout his career and you know he could get you out of a jam because he's seen a lot and not much can surprise him so you lose a little bit of that coach on the field with Roethlisberger being out of the lineup is there anything that they you don't think they're going to have to change too much like is there anything that that Mason Rudolph can duplicate that we've come to uh expect from Roethlisberger well in the same breath you're going to expect him to hit the deep ball just like he used to do at Oklahoma State and I think what I'll What's impressive about Mike Tomlin and that Steelers organization, they subscribe to the to the thought process or the philosophy that if you're on the roster, we expect you to produce. There's no training wheel. So they're gonna throw Rudolph into the game, into the you know, into the starting lineup and expect him to produce because in their mind, you wouldn't be on this 53 if we didn't think you can play and be a starter. So I love that mentality that they have. So they're not going to limit what he can do. It's not going to be a situation where they put him in like we saw on the Monday night game where Adam Gates throws in Luke Falk in the first eight plays or run plays. They won't do that with Mason Rudolph. They're going to allow him to work through his mistakes. They're going to expect him to raise his level of play. And because of that, you're going to see a guy in Rudolph that has been there for a year and a half in that system gain confidence and become a productive player. I'm wondering if you saw anything from him in his uh, performance on Sunday against the Seahawks 
that stood out to you, whether it be good, bad, whatever, anything that you, you saw him do in that game when he was thrown into the fire after Roethlisberger had to leave uh, that you're going to be paying attention to in week three and really uh, as the season wears on? Well, he didn't fold. Again, we've seen this situation before where guys get injured, backup comes in and looks completely overmatched as if he wasn't able to, as if he just got there that morning. We didn't see that from Mason Rudolph. We saw a guy that came in and just start to, you know, find completions, build some confidence, and put them in position to win that game against Seattle. So you, you like that he was able to be a quick study, and you're just excited for what he can potentially bring with a week worth of worth of work. I'm sorry, with the starters, the starting offensive line, the protections, and the receivers. Um, and I think that's going to be a plus for Pittsburgh moving forward. Again, we've seen Mike Tomlin. Uh, get production out of many different starting quarterbacks when Ben has had to miss time. So this is a guy that they've groomed, that they hand-selected uh, from the draft. And so they feel a little bit more confident going into this time around than they probably did before when Ben was younger, uh, when they had more weapons, when they maybe were Super Bowl ready. Uh, this is a team that, you know, that is counting on winning games. They may not be Super Bowl ready, but they want to be productive and get into the playoffs. And with that mindset, they're going to do everything that's possible to make sure Rudolph has enough success to where that offense can stay on pace as the defense continues to get better. Yeah, clearly not giving up on the 2019 season. They made that clear by sending a first-round pick in 2020 to Miami for Minka Fitzpatrick. Uh, let's talk about those uh, starters because obviously that's going to uh, weigh pretty heavily on the minds of fantasy players. What's the impact? I, I assume it has to be um, negative or you know negative in terms of it not as high a ceiling uh, as these players had with Ben Roethlisberger but what do you think the overall impact is on those key fantasy guys on the Pittsburgh Steelers let's start with Juju Smith-Schuster I think the the you know you can expect him to continue to have success uh, because number one you want to find the best player and get him the football so there's comfort in having a guy in Juju Smith-Schuster being the number one receiver and a young player like Rudolph coming in and say, okay, I know I can get Juju to football because he's our primary guy. There's also comfort in understanding that, hey, Vance McDonald is a nice safety valve. I can dump the ball off to him. We can create things to help him out. Once I get the protection settled and we can release that tight end and not having to keep six guys in to protect. So there's there's value in that. There's also the obvious value in uh, James Washington, whom he has played a lot of football with, has great rapport with. We saw that in the preseason against Tennessee where he hit him on a nice deep post over the middle of the field. So you have that comfort as well. So he's actually, I think, stepping into a good situation. And that way they can essentially bring along Connor slowly, who should be returning from injury. We don't know how healthy he's going to be. I don't think the offense is going to miss, miss that much of a beat production-wise um, with Rudolph at the helm. What about James Conner? Uh, obviously, you know the the move from a from a starter to a backup, a quarterback affects a running back a little bit differently than it does a wide receiver or a tight end. Uh, Conner, obviously dealing with a little bit of a knee injury on his own, doesn't sound too serious. Could miss a game, but doesn't sound like uh, the Steelers are too concerned about this one. So when Connor is back up and running at full strength, whether it's this week or whether it's in a week or two, um, what do you think we see from him with Mason Rudolph now under center? I think we're going to see more of what we saw last year. If he's healthy, they're going to use him as a way to provide balance. Um, they're not going to handcuff Rudolph and say, hey, just hand the ball off and 
you know, throw a dump off or a screen on third and short. They're going to use Connor. They're going to treat this offense just like they would with Ben Roethlisberger. And again, that's what I like about the way Mike Tomlin approaches his football team. You know, he expects guys to get out there and produce. And I think uh, Connor's role won't change because of who's at quarterback. I think his role changes if he's not healthy, if he's not 100%, if he's not productive, then we'll see less of him and more of, you know, their backup. Uh, in, in this situation, it'll uh, be Jalen Samuel. You may even see rookie Benny Snell. But if Connor is healthy and productive, he'll be a part of the offense as well, and just an extension of the passing game. Because I do believe they're going to put the ball in Rudolph's hands and and allow him to continue to grow because they need him for the full season, not just a spot start where they could kind of lean on a running game, play good field position, play good defense, win with special teams. They need him for 14 games and hopefully more if they get to the playoffs. So they're going to open this thing up, run their regular offense. He's been in the system for a year and a half. And that also adds, you know, that also benefits Connor too, because now without them putting the training wheels on Rudolph, you don't have to worry about Connor, uh, you know, seeing, you know, disadvantageous uh, box situations versus the run. So he's going to have the room he had to, to be successful as a rookie uh, this year because they're going to give Mason Rudolph uh, the entire, you know, playbook to work with. Let's say this injury happened in the preseason and we knew going into week one and while we were still drafting our fantasy teams that Mason Rudolph was going to be the guy for the Steelers uh, all season long. How much, if at all, would you have bumped Juju Smith-Schuster and Connor down your fantasy rankings? I wouldn't have bumped them down. I would probably would have pushed James Washington Washington up because he has a, the rapport with Washington um, and not just from working with him in the preseason or you know at practice, you know that's more along the lines of what you would say between him and Deontay Johnson, a rookie third round pick. But Washington and Rudolph, they have real rapport, legit three years worth of rapport, college record breaking rapport. So I would have bumped Washington up more so than bumping down Smith Schuster and Connor. Yeah, there was uh, quite the connection at Oklahoma State between Rudolph and Washington. 198 catches, a little more than 4,000 yards, and 33 touchdowns between those two guys. You think that's something that can carry over right away? Absolutely. Again, these guys have legitimate rapport. They played a lot of football together, so that's one thing that I don't have to worry about. You, the question should be more about you know the rapport with the other guys that you know he's going to start to work with now more so than he has worked with with Washington. We'll see uh, how that gets going for the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, right away. Week three uh, with the Steelers taking on the San Francisco 49ers, the uh, 2-0 San Francisco 49ers. I don't think too many people thought that uh, you'd have a 2-0 49ers team and an 0-2 Steelers team meeting in week three, but that is indeed the case. Emery, let's move on to our next uh, big quarterback injury, that being Drew Brees. Now, Brees will be back this season. He's going to be out for what the Saints are saying right now is six weeks uh, because of an injured thumb that required surgery. Teddy Bridgewater taking over as the starter for the Saints in the interim. Uh, same question as we had to start off with Rudolph and Pittsburgh. How does the offense change from going from Brees to Bridgewater? Well, I think for Brees is – more along the lines of another Sean Payton. He has been in this offense since 2006 or seven, I believe. I, I want to say six. So this is 
13 years of knowing what to do and being an extension of the coaching staff on the field and getting everybody lined up properly. Teddy Bridgewater is only in his second season within his offense. So you lose a little bit of that comfort in knowing that, okay, I know if I call a play, Breeze is going to get me into the right play. He's thinking like I'm thinking, or even I don't even have to call a play. Breeze is going to make, make the calls and checks because he knows exactly what to do in this situation. Where you don't lose anything going from Breeze to uh, Bridgewater is, is I'll, I'll say this. Imagine if you had a backup quarterback. Uh, you had a starting quarterback that was a future Hall of Famer, record-setting quarterback, one of the top 10 QBs of all time. And backing him up, if he was to go down for a six-game stretch, you have a playoff starting quarterback who won a division title who has had a lot of success in this league and also was a pro bowler. I think, you know, fans would say, man, that's, they, they should be in pretty good shape to carry this through for, for those six games. Well, that's what the saints have in Teddy Bridgewater. He's got great football IQ. He has great football awareness. He protects the football. He has tremendous accuracy in the intermediate area to where is going to you know get semi chunk plays to where you can continue to move the football and stay uh, ahead of the chains, and he does a good job of extending the play with his feet, and also could pick up a first down or two with his legs. Now he's not a zone read guy, RPO type guy. He's more of the Drew Brees than uh, what you saw from Nick Foles in that Eagles offense. But when you look at Bridgewater, you see a smart guy, a future franchise quarterback. He was on his way to being one. Uh, in Minnesota before he had the non-contact injury at practice, uh, just dropping back and tore his knee up. So we saw him have success last year in the preseason. They got him traded to New Orleans. We saw him get a start in New Orleans in week 17 with all backups. Uh, and Mike Thomas was out there for a little bit before they pulled him because the Saints were playing, you know, week 17 in preparation for a bye, a first-round bye in the playoffs. So now Bridgewater is going to get an extended piece of time with the starters, a lot of work with the starters. They need him for at least six games, and anything after that is going to be gravy. So I don't think you're going to see much of a drop-off passing-wise from Bridgewater, from Breeze to Bridgewater. It's just that uh, Breeze is essentially Sean Payton on the field because they've been together for 13 years. Teddy Bridgewater hasn't been a consistent star starter, excuse me, since uh, that season with Minnesota, where he did get them into the playoffs. Uh, how does that manifest itself? What? How long does it take Bridgewater to get comfortable again, being a guy who is you know, called upon as a starting quarterback, uh, especially considering this is his first time uh, getting some extended run uh, as a starter in Sean Payton's offense? It shouldn't take him long because he's a smart guy, and and when you have that football IQ where you're putting in the work, you're preparing just like you're the starter, you're going to you're gonna hit the ground running. You saw that in that Rams game. The only difference was that the receivers were dropping balls and the penalties as a team was setting the team back. And, you know, it seemed as though they constantly were starting in first and 20 situations or you have a big play, it gets called back. So I think Bridgewater is going to make a seamless transition within this offense. The biggest thing no one's talking about you know, everyone's worried about Breeze and, you know, what's going to happen with the passing game. But how about we talk about the Saints still need to find a threat outside of Michael Thomas? That's the biggest quietly that no one talks about right now. If teams come in and try to take away Mike Thomas, 
There's no one else on that roster that can beat you. And so right there is where the Saints truly have to focus and help Bridgewater become even more comfortable by making sure one of these other guys, whether it's Ted Ginn, whether it's, uh, you know, Austin Carr, Kirkwood, make sure one of those guys step up and be a, a significant number two or even, you know, Jared Cook, can he start consistently catching the football? That right there can help this transition be a lot easier than it should be. Let's talk about those teammates. Uh, the one who really jumps out for me is Alvin Kamara. Uh, yeah, Kamara doesn't have the touch ceiling uh, that we talk about of a Saquon Barkley or an Ezekiel Elliott. The Saints just simply having used him and don't really show much of an appetite to use him in quite that way. And he has just been a monster in efficiency in his first two years in the league. That has me concerned, uh, the, the the loss of Drew Brees, just because you know Brees constantly has this team in scoring position, converting third downs, uh, moving the ball uh, uh, up the field, uh, having a ton of time of possession. And that does really uh, contribute to Alvin Kamara's bottom line. Uh, should we be expecting a less efficient Kamara with Brees off the field? No, because the same point I made for – Mason Rudolph, I'll make for Teddy Bridgewater. When you look at Sean Payton and you look at him having a guy like Bridgewater on his lineup, when they threw him in, they didn't put the, the you know the training wheels on him or the handcuffs on him. They allowed him to run the same offense because that's what they're going to have to do, you know, moving forward until Breeze can get back healthy. So I, whether it's Elvin Kamara or Michael Thomas, whatever their uh, package was going into a ball game, I don't think that'll change because of Bridgewater. I think that'll stay the same. If anything, we may see someone that Bridgewater has had some comfort with working with the second team get a little bit more run uh, with the first team. So whether that's one of these back-end receivers, maybe we may see a Deontay Harris or uh, Trey Quan Smith if he's healthy, uh, you know, Austin Carr, Kirkwood, maybe one of those guys can can step up and and you know be that guy that that ha- has that rapport that uh, you know already built in rapport with Bridgewater because they've worked together with the the second unit in practice. Or maybe, you know, you can get Taysom Hill more involved as the, the third receiver or second receiver outside of Michael Thomas. Just because uh, Sean Payton has the confidence uh, that Teddy Bridgewater can can pick up the playbook uh, right away where, you know, where Drew Brees put it down uh, doesn't mean that he can do what Drew Brees does, though, right? I mean, we should expect some downgrade to this offense uh, and for all of te- what Teddy Bridgewater can be he's not quite Drew Brees just yet what was the, the point total in the first game for the Saints like 30 something right Thir- they played Houston right so they had yeah, a good 30, game 30 to 28 30 to 28 all that game yeah and when Brees before Brees went down with the the thumb injury what was the score in the Rams game uh, I mean that was the first quarter wasn't it right so it's not like they were going gangbusters you know, with Breeze, it wasn't like it, this was Kansas City's offense. Uh, they had their struggles. I'm saying people are underselling the talent of Teddy Bridgewater. You know, the one element that Breeze does that, you know, that doesn't – that I mean, that Bridgewater does that Breeze can't do right now is a deep ball. That's – Bridgewater can hit that ball deeper down the field. Now, he doesn't have the cannon of an arm. Um, he lives more in the intermediate area. But there are some shots that he can take that Bree- that Breeze wouldn't take. There are also some things that he can do as far as escaping pressure and running for a first down that he's not reluctant to do that Breeze is. Breeze tends to be a guy that wants to hang in the pocket, hang in the pocket, hang in the pocket, hold the ball, hold the ball, hold the ball, 
in, until somebody comes open. That usually ends up in an interception. So there are things that that Bree, uh, Bridgewater can do that Breeze can't. Um, the one thing that Breeze has is just the knowledge of the system. Again, he is the system. So he operates so seamlessly because he, he was a guy that was here from day one with the guy that's handling the play calling. Yeah, it'll be uh, definitely another interesting one to watch and one that we'll have our eyes on, uh, not only because of how intriguing of a player Bridgewater is himself, but because of all the fantasy value and big-time fantasy players that are tied to him uh, so long as he is the starter for the Saints. One more big quarterback change we got to hit, Emery. Uh, This is the one that is not due to injury, but due to ineffectiveness. Suppose that the uh, moment that Roger Goodell called out Daniel Jones' name at the NFL draft, it was uh, a ticking uh, clock for Eli Manning. That clock struck zero this week. Eli, no longer the starter for the Giants. Daniel Jones will get his first career start in week three. What should we expect to see from Daniel Jones? You've got to see quite a bit of him living in that New York City area. Well, hopefully he can rush the passer. Hopefully he can line up out (laughs) wide and get open. Uh, Because to me, that has been the... Significant problem with the Giants so far. Daniel Jones, I tweeted this out earlier uh, because this is an observation. I think what sealed the fate of Eli Manning was on Sunday when he played the Buffalo Bills and the defense was doing their best to apply pressure and put pressure on Allen. Allen was able to escape pressure, extend the play, and find someone open to move the sticks. Seeing that and then having that happen right in front of you, and realizing that you have a guy on the sideline that potentially can do that because he's a good athlete and your starter is a guy that if the play is dead, it's dead because he can't, you know, create or extend or get out of harm's way, even though the offensive line is good. I think they were like, you know what, man, at least we we're watching this, this, this quarterback in Josh Allen, that's, you know, very he's inaccurate deep down the field. He missed a deep touchdown. He just kind of just rocket launched the ball 20 yards past the receiver. But on other plays where the game was still in, in you know in the balance, you know, Josh Allen was able to escape pressure. He put a move on Dexter Lawrence that just froze him in space, got outside and hit John Brown for a dump off, which was a first down, which extended the drive and allowed them to get more points. Daniel Jones can do at least at minimum that. So he gives them a chance to maybe get some play, some big plays off script uh, to move the sticks and get some some positive things going as far as generating points on the board. That still doesn't improve their defense, but at least it gives their offense a chance to have success, which from a fantasy perspective helps out certain players, maybe in Evan Ingram. Uh, w- w- maybe they get Sterling Shepard back this week because he was dealing with the he was in concussion protocol last week, so they didn't put him out there. Um, but that's about it, man. They, maybe DJ Jones, he had a good rapport with in the preseason, uh, can can step in and be that that other guy to ha- help out because right now they can't trust Benny Fowler. They can't trust Cody Latimer. They don't trust Russell Shepard enough to put him out there consistently. Um, so there's not a lot on the receiving core, but we know Jones definitely has rapport with TJ Jones. Sterling Shepard comes back, and Evan Ingram is a, a significant option in the passing game. So We'll see if that helps, if his mobility can help create. Maybe they call different sets of plays to take advantage of his athleticism. Maybe you may see more RPOs, which could generate a lot of easy throws, a little catch-and-run plays for Shepard, for uh, maybe Fowler, Latimer, Jones, or what have you, Ingram. And that all helps out Saquon Barkley. So 
I think Jones' athleticism gives them a little bit more flexibility within their offense, and hopefully that'll help them have more success on the field. Yeah, Golden Tate coming back from suspension in a couple of weeks as well. It'll be a welcome sight for Daniel Jones. Uh, is that athleticism his immediate strength? I mean, is that the immediate thing he brings to the table here and then we'll sort of figure everything out as it goes? I think so because where I had some hangups on Daniel Jones is I'll read you exactly what I had in my final report, uh, his his summary. Um on what one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine things that I grade quarterbacks on. So his summary says this Jones can be a starter in the NFL. He had the Duke Blue Devils competitive. He's a streaky player, sometimes within the same game, more of a rhythmic type passer that can string together some really good drives. He doesn't have the best upside. He's maybe a bit maxed out as his arm pocket presence, in my opinion, are what it's going to be. He's a mid-level to slightly above average starter, slightly average starter. And I gave a comp, a comparison to him, uh, to Ryan Tannehill. So to me, that's what they're getting. You know, a guy that can, if you utilize his athleticism, it can help you. I felt like Miami didn't do that enough with Ryan Tannehill. I think the Giants will do that with Daniel Jones. And that can help, you know, transform the offense and make it look a little bit more modern and a little bit better to where guys can have a little bit more success, which then helps out fantasy players. Yeah, does that help all these guys in fantasy? I mean, Saquon, Saquon, but does maybe does he even get a boost from uh, them being able to transition to a little bit more free-flowing modern offense? Yeah, you look at what, what has happened in Baltimore. You look at what has happened in Arizona. You also look at what has happened in Buffalo uh, with John Brown and, you know, uh, 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 the running back from uh, Singletary and, and mm-hmm. Gore and those guys having success. Uh, they haven't really gotten the tight ends involved yet, but they didn't have to. But John Brown's had some success because he's it's strict, it's straight scramble drill. Once uh, Allen breaks contain, he finds a way to work back to the pocket. I mean, to the toward the quarterback and find himself open. So yeah, it can help out. It you know when you have a mobile quarterback or a guy that's a threat to run, the running game is always going to have success success too. So that helps out Saquon Barkley. So if we're assuming that Daniel Jones, uh, you know, whether no matter what he is, is a boost for everyone in the Giants from a fantasy perspective, who gets the biggest boost? Who is better off? Who is the most better off? Uh, not necessarily the best English, but who's the most better off from the move from Eli Manning to Daniel Jones? Uh, anyone on this team? Probably Sterling Shepard, because Daniel Jones in the preseason was hitting a lot of crossing routes. So they're going to this is a situation where when he gets in. They're going to make sure everything is safe for him. So they're going to throw a lot of crossing routes, you know, a lot of, you know, high, low reads. If this guy's covered low, throw it, you know, to the guy that's that's open high. Or if they back off and cover the guy that's high, throw it to the guy that's low. You're going to get a lot of that with Daniel Jones. You're going to get some RPO quick slant. So that could be Fowler or uh, Latimer, whoever that guy is going to be on the, on the play fake side. So you can get those short, quick passes and try to take advantage of guys that can do a lot after the catch before they try to test him going deep down the field. Does it impact? Um, uh, man, we got a uh, ambulance going by here. Little uh, honking horn. Hold on for a sec. Always out in the wild when you're podcasting, you know, Emery. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, does this? Uh, does it impact um, uh, Saquon Barkley's uh, receiving? upside at all he obviously was a big time receiver for this team last year does it does that change at all with the move to daniel jones i mean it could help i mean you probably see some screens to get him comfortable and you know maybe some 
outlet passes where he's in the flat and things of that nature. I don't think it'll be anything significant, but it'll be definitely a part of the playbook. All right, Emery, last thing on these quarterbacks before we move on to our last topic. Uh, some people are going to be listening to this on Tuesday night uh, before waivers run in any league. Some people are going to be listening to this on Wednesday with waivers that don't run until Wednesday afternoon or Thursday. So this has still got some value here. Um, if you're in a two-quarterback or super flex league, Every quarterback in the league has value. I'm in a lot. Even Trevor Simeon got picked up uh, for that brief moment when he was the Jets starter. Uh, Luke Falk's probably going to get picked up. So every single quarterback has value in these leagues. If you had to rank these three guys, Rudolph, Bridgewater, and Jones, how would you do it? I would go Rudolph, Bridgewater, and Jones in that order. Okay. Because I think Pittsburgh's game script is going to be them playing a lot of uh, back and forth football. So you're going to see a lot of passes coming from Rudolph. Okay. And then uh, even though it looks like Jones has a bead on the starting job for the rest of the season, whereas Bridgewater is just a holdover till Breeze gets back, you still think that Bridgewater for the next six weeks is worth it rather than Jones for the rest of the season? Absolutely. I, I think so. And I think, you know, partly because Jones is a rookie with, with not much upside and he don't have the the real threats at receiver. So let's say, for instance, until Golden Tate comes back, which is in two games, you lose two games of, of that. So let's look at four-game sample, juxtaposed to perhaps a six-game sample with Teddy Bridgewater. And, yes, they'll be playing some tougher defenses, but he's a pro, a veteran, a productive guy, a smart guy. He'll find ways to have success, whereas Jones is still a rookie and is going to be playing with one hand tied behind his back for at least four games. Okay. Okay, and yeah, and Teddy Bridgewater definitely has that on his side and definitely uh, has some nice weapons at his disposal, especially Alvin Kamara and Michael Thomas. Emery, let's uh, turn away from the quarterback position, wrap this up with easily the most confounding yet productive backfield in the league through two weeks, the San Francisco 49ers. I cannot remember off the top of my head the last time we saw three different backs put up the numbers that the three backs in San Francisco did in its 41 to 17 win over the Bengals uh, in week two. Let's just go over those numbers really quickly. Uh, Matt Breida, 12 carries for 121 yards. Didn't really do much in the passing game. Played 29% of the snaps for the 49ers. Raheem Mostert, 13 carries, 83 yards, three catches on four targets for 68 more yards and a touchdown. And then Jeff Wilson, 10 carries for 34 yards, not the best YPC, but two touchdowns clearly was the goal line favored back for Kyle Shanahan. So all three of these guys we're talking about had 12 plus points in fantasy leagues. I did 13 plus points, actually, uh, when you throw in what Matt Breida did on his one reception. Again, that's just something that you don't see uh, on a regular basis uh, in the NFL. Uh, can you help me make sense of this backfield? <laughs> I can't really, honestly. When you look at it, I think it's a more along the lines of a hot hand situation with Kyle Shanahan. Guys that are having success is going to get the carries, but you saw it evenly split between Mostert and Breida. I think what, what happens is, you know, these guys are all explosive. So whoever gets down, usually a guy that's going to break a long run is going to break a long run. But if he gets caught and, you know, he just ran a long way, he's gassed. So the next guy is going to come in and steal that touchdown. And I think that's what you're seeing with San Francisco. If you're not scoring from far out, then then tough because the next guy's gonna come in and get your get your uh, your touchdown because that's the unique part that, that they have, you know they have the most explosive backfield I think in, in the league pound for pound because Breida Mostert Wilson and when they get Coleman back 
that's a lot of speed and elusiveness and explosiveness. So if you're not scoring when you get the ball, if you just happen to be the back to break that ADR run but get tackled at the five, man, that's, that sucks for you uh, because the next guy is going to come in and get that one-yard touchdown. And we saw that happen a lot. So I just think that it's just, a you know, you got to – I wouldn't have any of these guys as my starters. I would have all three of these guys as, as flex players because you never know who's going to get what, but you know that they have the potential for a big play. You're going to gamble on that big play. If you had to pick one guy, let's say let's say you were suddenly um, Kyle Shanahan for a day and you had to pick one guy to be your guy, forget about mixing and matching, forget about matching skill sets, whether it's smart or not, you had to pick one of these guys to be your guy, who would it be? It probably would be Brita. But the reason why you have four guys that are similar is that you can be creative in getting everybody involved because you don't lose much. But if I had to pick one, it would be probably uh, Brita. Why is that? Because he's first on a depth chart. Like I don't, you know, it's, it's all these guys are they're a bunch of the same guys to me. You know, you could shake them up in the bags and, and take the number off the jersey. They all are the same player, so they uh, clearly have a type, and they've you know they they work with that type, and it, it has been successful for them. Looking at the way that they were used in week two. So again, Brita had 29% of the snaps. Mostert had 47%, also the most targets of the group, four. Uh, four of the five running back targets, in fact, went to Mostert, the fifth, to Brita. Wilson had no targets, uh, but played 21% of the snaps. And again, uh, five carries inside the 22 carries inside the five. So just looking at that, just purely looking at those numbers, uh, it suggests to me that Brita is the favorite guy between the 20s. Mostert is not only the favorite receiver, but a guy who they like to mix and match with Brita. And then Wilson is the hammer at the goal line. Uh, do you read that the same? And if so, do you think there's any reason to change that? Not. I think you probably hit it, you know, right on the head. If you know, if it reads that way, that those numbers seem to make sense uh, in how they're used. So I would, I would agree with that. Is there any, or not, let me let me put it this way, actually. Uh, obviously, Tevin Coleman is going to be back. Uh, it's a high ankle sprain. Um, you know, they, they threw a ridiculous two to six week timeline on it. Uh, that's a pretty wide range, uh, of course. But uh, he's going to be back uh, in a couple of weeks. Let's just say it like that for the time being. How does this change? I mean, they're not going to, you know, throw Tevin. They're not going to have Tevin Coleman come back healthy and say, all right, Tevin, you're inactive. Uh, how does this change when Coleman gets back? Who is the biggest loser once Coleman is back in the fold? Probably Jeffrey Wilson, um, you know, because he's fourth on the depth chart. And so Coleman was brought in for a reason. That was a guy that they sought out. So they want to get him to work. Now, they'll ease him in. So it'll still be Breida and Mostert, but also Coleman mixing in as well with Wilson suffering. But even if you look at the, the IR, McKinnon is no different than Breida, Coleman, Mostert, or Wilson. They legitimately have five of the same type of backs. They love speed on this team, don't they? They love speed. They <laughs> love those guys that are about, you know, 5'10", 5'11", 195. They have a tight man. Uh, so Mostert has looked great these first two weeks, and he's kind of the most interesting guy for me, uh, especially when Coleman returns, because of the fact that he's been the guy who they've turned to as their primary receiving back. Uh, do you think that his role is... I don't want to say safe because, again, of course, Coleman's going to play. But is there going to be enough value here when Coleman is back for Mostert to still be someone who sticks on fantasy rosters? Absolutely, because you can't trust Coleman because he has already been injured so far this season. So 
they're going to not want the, you know, if this team can continue to play like they're playing, they're two and zero right now. They want to have healthy guys for the stretch run to the playoffs. If that situation comes or presents itself. So yes, Mostert, as long as he's a healthy guy, it gives him more time to be a little bit careful with Coleman. So I don't think you'll see a drop off uh, once Coleman comes back. He'll be listed as health, uh, healthy and ready to play. But if Mostert um, is still capable of doing what he has done, then they'll ease Coleman back into the to the mix. Yeah, Mostert definitely has a couple of weeks here to solidify his role in this offense. Uh, you mentioned uh, if they can keep playing this way. Obviously, they're not going to keep playing uh, every single week the way they did in week two, just getting out and boat racing Cincinnati, winning that game 41-17. Having that big of a lead for as long as they did, obviously, has a lot to do with the, uh, the fact they were able to get these guys all these touches. Again, 35 carries combined between the three of them, five targets. Uh, these guys really were the dominant force of the offense for San Francisco in this game. How does how do things change uh, in a game where they're not running away with a victory? How do things change if they are in a one score game throughout? Uh, does does one or more do these guys become more featured than the other? Probably Breida because he's listed as their starter, so he's going to get first uh, rights of refru- refusal refusal <laughs> uh, in this regard. So I would say Breida would be the starter. So you think Breida? It sounds like you think Breida has the safe is like the surest fantasy bet from week to week. And of course, you know, Mostert's going to have his thing and Wilson's going to have his thing, but week in week out, if you had to bet on one from a fantasy perspective, Brita would be the guy. Mike, if you're listed as first on the depth chart, (laughs) you're the guy. (laughs) But Mostert led the team in carries and in snaps and in targets last week. Sometimes situations dictate that. And, and the beauty about, you know, what makes Kyle Shanahan, one of those, those good coaches is the fact that, Hey, like I said earlier, it's a hot hand situation. If one guy is, is having a day, you don't want to, you know, take that away from him for the sake of start on your depth chart. You want to start with your starter, but man, if, if, if the defense is having a tough time with Mostert, you know what, let's keep this thing going. Cause we're trying to win the game. Both these guys and, you know, Jeff Wilson too, we could throw him in the mix. All three, we saw good stuff from all three of these guys last year also. So it's not like uh, what they did in week two, all three of them coming through with their opportunities uh, came from totally out of nowhere. It's going to be a really challenging situation uh, to figure out from week to week. I'm going to go back uh, and try to uh, go to the well one more time here. If you were try- if you were starting one of them in week three against the Pittsburgh Steelers, Matt Breed is the guy. Raheem Mostert. You want me to change the answer? <laughs> of course, I'm going to say Matt Breida. Like, he's the starter. Um, but you also got to look at who they're playing. Right. Last week, they played Cincinnati, and, and they pretty much dominated that game. So maybe in the coach's mind, it was like, you know what? We don't have to continue to, to give Breida mm-hmm. that work because he's our starter. Um, so we're going to need him for the long stretch. Let's give Raheem Mostert some, some work because this game is clearly in hand. So he's going to get the, the bulk of the carries. Uh, obviously because the game is in hand. But if, like you pointed out earlier, if it was a tight game and he, they're going to ride their their go-to guy, that guy is going to be Breida. So if the game gets out of hand, I, obviously you can't play fantasy this way. Right. I would say you could trust. Again, that's why I say I would never start one of these guys. All of these guys would be a flex player for me. 
It's definitely going to be something we have to keep a close eye on where game script is really going to determine things, but definitely all three very ownable in fantasy leagues. And we'll have to see what Raheem Mostert can do for an encore against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Also, uh, just as a quick heads up, we uh, recorded uh, today's podcast by committee with our um, athletic 49ers beat writer, uh, Matt Barrows. And we went into this a little bit with him as well. So uh, definitely check out that episode uh, alongside uh, after you've uh, put the, the, the bow on the advanced route here. We're going to put the bow on the advanced route for you right now. Another episode in the books. Emery, uh, good stuff as always. Uh, what are you looking forward to in week three outside of what we talked about? Well, just looking forward to seeing, obviously, the, the Ravens and Chiefs game because this was – I feel like this is going to be that battle between Titans um, in the AFC for a very long time with two young stars, two young franchise quarterbacks in Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes fighting for supremacy in the AFC because we know at some point, or maybe we don't know, Tom Brady is not going to play forever. <laughs> uh, so they're going to have to have a new, uh, you know, rivalry is not at one point in time. It was Baltimore and, and new England and Pittsburgh and new England. I think Baltimore and Kansas city has a chance to be that uh, again. It used to be a lot of teams versus new England, <laughs> but right. Tom Brady has outlasted all of them. Exactly. Indianapolis, uh, San Diego before Los Angeles, um, you know, and so I think this has a chance to be the new rivalry, um, Kansas City and Baltimore. Should be an excellent chapter in the Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson story uh, coming on Sunday. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Advanced Route. Uh, again, we uh, still have an active uh, promotion, 40% off an annual subscription at The Athletic. If you go to uh, theathletic.com slash the advanced route you will find a link there we can get 40 percent off for a year it's not just fantasy it's not just nfl it's college football college basketball major league baseball playoffs about to start nba nhl seasons just around the corner wnba soccer uh, premier league our uk uh, division just launched uh, about a month or so ago you get it all with that one subscription so definitely go ahead check that out take advantage of that 40 percent off uh we'll be back with you next week on the advanced route you can follow emery on twitter at fball game plan you can follow me on twitter at m beller until next week enjoy the rest of your week enjoy your weekend of football hopefully we all go out and get a win here over the weekend What's up, everyone? We're excited to share some big news. Our team here at The Athletic and our friends at Wondery just launched a brand new daily sports show called The Lead that we know you are going to love. The Lead is the first daily sports news podcast that will cover everything from the world stage to the hometown. With the help of The Athletic's more than 400 sports writers and editors, co-hosts Kavitha Davidson and Anders Kelto will bring you sports news up close and personal each weekday morning. You're about to hear a preview of The Lead. Subscribe to The Lead on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now so you don't miss an episode. There's also a link in the episode notes that will take you there. Check out theathletic.com slash the lead to read the stories that are featured on The Lead. You can follow sports through sound bites or the full story. From up in the press box or down on the sidelines. What do you want to accomplish this year? Actually, I want to accomplish getting on this team first. This fall, a new daily podcast brings you closer to the sports stories that matter. Stories about players. 
a guy like Zion just represents that hope of the failures of the past don't matter because we've got this guy now. That's the buzzer. Stories about hometowns. You will see hundreds of people wearing number 32 Simpson jerseys uh, in the stands on Sunday afternoons for a Bills home game. And stories about the teams you love. This was the first chance for all those baseball fans to see their guys. From The Athletic, home to the best storytelling in sports. And Wondery, the company behind Sports Wars and Gladiator. I'm Kavitha Davidson. And I'm Anders Kelto. Introducing The Lead. Go beyond the box score five days a week. This isn't a story where you go to some place and interview the athlete and go home. It stays with you. Are you kidding me? I have never seen anything like that. The lead premieres September 16th on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now. Oh, what a mess the lead. Sports up close. <laughs>